everybody. How's it going? This is Hub, and welcome to another episode of Tighten Up the Defense, a podcast that would likely benefit from a tagline. I've been having a fun week. Hope you're doing well. Are you? Are you really? I'm so glad to hear that. Or if you answered in the negatively. Oh, I'm so sorry. Hmm. Tell you what, you pause this podcast and you tell me all about it. Feel better? I'm assuming you've turned the podcast on again now. Glad to hear it. Sometimes that's all you need. A friend pretending to listen. Who you've never met. Oh, that got dark kind of quickly. Didn't mean it that way. Yeah, uh, I've had a pretty good week, like I said. Went and saw Barry Gordy's The Last Dragon in a local movie theater, which I loved. It's not a perfect movie. There are certainly some problematic portrayals of Asian culture, but it was really fun, and I actually think it starts a pretty interesting conversation about cultural appropriation. But most importantly, you get to see a very young William H. Macy play a video producer who wears the craziest goddamn jacket I have ever seen. And this is in a movie that is not bereft of crazy-ass jackets. I also, at that movie theater, encountered a, I'm going to say, template for the stereotype of a Portland, Oregon person. Uh, I didn't know this person actually existed in their purest, undiluted form, but it was a woman who was bizarrely upset and kind of passive-aggressive about the fact that the movie theater she was at had only one kind of kombucha on tap. This is where I live. Anyway, we got a fun comic to talk about here. So, without any further ado, let's ado this. Today's synopsis rhyme is submitted by Brad Reed, and uh, <laughs> it's an interesting one. All right. A jasmine'll scat when the words just won't come, man. A lyric's forgotten because of a bum plan. Well, beetle do wop wop was ow was ease bop fliss. Forgot how this goes, and here comes a synopsis. Thanks, Brad. It is really difficult to read out scat phonetically, especially if you have to hit any kind of marks with it, like getting the bop fliss thing at the end. You put me through my paces, man. Thanks, Brad. New Teen Titans number sixteen. February 1982. Starfire Unleashed! Written by Marf Wolfman, drawn by George Perez, with inks by Romeo Tangal. Teen Titan Roll Call. Starfire. Raven. Wonder Girl. Robin. Kid Flash. Cyborg. Previously in the new Teen Titans. An entire storyline actually wrapped up, which means I don't need to write one of these things. God zooks! What will I do with the extra time I now have on my hands? Stay tuned to find out. Um, I went to the park with my dog. It was nice. It's a beautiful day out, and the Titans are chilling out and frolicking in their Titan pool. Well, some of the Titans. Cyborg's actually chilling poolside and reading an instruction manual, and Raven is brooding darkly, but at least they're frolic adjacent. Donna and Wally are definitely frolicking, and Robin is frolicking as hard as he can and making a big show of it. Beast Boy is too busy not appearing in this issue to frolic, and Starfire, well, we'll get to her soon enough. Raven is brooding because, well, she's Raven, but also because she's nervous because today is her first day of school. Wally tells her to chill out. She's going to fit right in in college. I don't know, Wally. She's lived her whole life in Azeroth, a completely insular community filled with pretentious, passive-aggressive, judgmental dicks who looked down on her whenever she tried to do something because they themselves were completely unwilling to take any action. You know what? Maybe Wally's right. 
she should feel right at home in college. Robin's annoyed because no one's paying attention to what a good, good frolicker he is, but really he's bummed out because Starfire isn't there. See, I guess he and Coriander had been having some casual hookups, but then he called it off and told her he just wanted to be pals. He actually said, I love you as a friend. Ouch. Starfire was pretty sad for a while, but then she started dating some dude named Franklin Crandall, and now Dick is all jealous. Oh, Dick. Dick, 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 Dick. Dick. That's fun. Wally and Raven head off to college, leaving Donna and Dick to fill us in on exposition about how Coriander met her new fella. Turns out that a few weeks back, right after Dick finished delivering his old let's just be good buddies cliche speech, Donna and Coriander were off having a modeling shoot. Donna had gotten Coriander in her secret identity of Cory Anders, <sighs> a job as the lead model for a jeans company owned by everybody's favorite offensive Italian stereotype, Sergio DeLevy. DeLevy keeps hitting on the alleged Miss Anders and speaking in a ridiculous caricature of an accent. At least this time he isn't constantly comparing women to types of Italian food the way he did in his last appearance. Mamma mia, that's an offensive Italian stereotype! Anyway, DeLevy tries to hit on Starfire, but the Tamaranian princess isn't having any of that. See, halfway through the shoot, a dude in a lime green three-piece suit wanders onto the set and stared at her creepily for over an hour. Now Coriander only has pupilless eyes for him. What a charmer. After the shoot, the apparently mesmerized model aficionado introduced himself as Franklin Crandall and asked the incognito ingenue out for a date. The two have been inseparable ever since. Aww. What a charming meet-cute. She's a model. He thinks models are pretty. It's like they were made for each other. It's almost too good to be true. Hmm. Once Donna finishes her expositional flashback, she and Dick head out for a bite. They invite Cyborg along, but he stays home to read his instruction manual and sulk about how he doesn't have a girlfriend. Fair enough. Meanwhile, a shadowy figure breaks into Donna and Coriander's apartment and steals some shit out of Donna's darkroom. Meanwhile, meanwhile, an incognito Starfire is out on a date with the aforementioned Franklin Crandall. How does a bright orange alien lady with green pupilless eyes and an enormous mane of bright red hair made out of space fire disguise herself? Why, she puts on a pair of sunglasses, of course. Brilliant! An impenetrable alter ego. The Master of Disguise and her new beau are professing their love for one another when a car starts hurtling out of control. Cory, that's Cory with a K, the alien princess, not Cory with a C, my brother, subtly uses her space magic firebolts to melt the car's tires without anyone noticing. Nice. She is really nailing being a totally inconspicuous normal Earth human. Speaking of inconspicuous normal Earth humans, across town at Manhattan College, Raven is starting her first day of classes. The professor of her comparative ancient philosophies class asks her why she chose that subject, and the Azerathian undergrad gives a rambling little soliloquy in front of the class about how some ancient philosophies are nice and helpful, and others are bullshit, and some, like, oh, I don't know, say Azerath, seem like they're nice and helpful, but are actually bullshit. Everyone's pretty impressed. The blonde kid sitting next to her is like, that was rad, are you into Azerath? I'm totally into Azerath. Pacifism is the best. In response, Raven uses the technique she learned in Azareth to passive-aggressively tell the dude to be quiet and listen to the professor. While Raven is shushing the aggressive Azareth aficionado, Donna discovers that the apartment she shares with Starfire has been hamburgled, only not for hamburgers. Man, I wish there was a word for that. She and Robin investigate and find some fingerprints, then head downtown to check the prints on the police crime computer. 
Soon after they leave, Starfire and Franklin arrive home. They too notice that the apartment has been hamburgled, only not for hamburgers, but they don't really seem to care. They talk some more about how in love they are, then Frank reveals that he has somehow managed to see through her clever disguise and knows that she is in fact Starfire. What? Corey with a K demands to know how he figured out her secret. Frank reveals that after nearly a month of being constantly in her company, he eventually noticed that she was bright orange. Then her sunglasses slipped one time, and he saw her pupilless green eyes. I guess he still hasn't noticed that her hair is made out of space fire, but maybe in another month or so he'll see that. Anyway, the two of them go back to saying love shit at each other. Then we cut to an hour later. Frank rebuttons his shirt and leaves the apartment. Huh, wonder what they could have been up to for that hour. Starfire is amazed that Frank was able to overlook the fact that she is a space princess supermodel and love her anyway. What a swell guy. She puts on her space bikini and flies around outside yelling the word love. Ah. As for the aforementioned swell guy, Franklin Crandall returns to his Greenwich, Connecticut apartment where he is confronted by a purple-robed figure who demands to know if Frank has gotten the information about Starfire he was hired to procure. Shit. I knew there was something I didn't like about that guy. He lives in Connecticut. Oh, and I guess that thing about how he's been seducing Coriander so he could spy on her and find out the secrets about the Teen Titans, that, that's bad too. Anyway, the dude in the purple robe is a new member of those shitty acronym havers and all-around evil jerkwads, Hive, the Hierarchy of International Vengeance and Eliminations, which, despite their name, is not a group dedicated to ranking angry poops from around the world, but is in fact a group of anonymous evil fuckwits intent on murdering the Teen Titans. This dude hired Frank to get the straight poop on our heroes so that he could impress the rest of his allegedly not-poop-ranking buddies. Seems that our boy Frankie's regular line of work is seducing rich married ladies and then blackmailing them. What a shitheel! Only it turns out that while he was on this job, Frank fucked up and broke the first rule of the bad guy racket. He got involved in a land war in Asia? No, the other one. He fell in love. Frank tells his purple-robed employer that he quits. The Hive member counters that no, Frank doesn't quit, and, in fact, if Frank were to attempt to quit, then what he would quit doing is breathing. A frightened Frank agrees, under duress, to continued employment. See, this is why the underworld needs unions. Meanwhile, at Manhattan College, Raven is getting out of her first class. A meat-headed philosophy student, Lummox, starts catcalling her. When Raven rebukes him, he starts getting all handsy. Not cool. Raven uses her powers to drain all aggression from her harasser, leaving the creep temporarily stunned. When a handsome mustachioed gentleman asks what just happened, the blonde Azeroth fan who was sitting next to Raven in class jumps in from out of nowhere and puts the fist back in pacifist by slugging the dude in the face and yelling, YOU LEAVE HER ALONE! Raven turns to the pugilism-prone pacifist and is like, What the fuck, dude? What the fuck is wrong with you? What the fuck is wrong with all of you? Fair question. Short answer? Probably patriarchy. Yeah. Back at the Titan's Tower, Robin has used the fingerprints he collected at Dawn and Starfire's apartment to figure out who hamburgled them, only not for hamburgers. Gosh, I wish there was a word for that. So, it's gotta be that Hive asswipe, right? Shadowy figure who wants info on the Titans. Seems pretty straightforward, right? Yeah, when was the last time we had a straightforward plot grace these hallowed pages? Turns out the perpetrator was actually after contact information for one of Donna's models named Angela Dove. See, 
Angela was dating a small-time crook named Jason Silver, who was working for a mob boss named Big Phil Cerullo, but was about to testify against Big Phil in a trial next week. So, Phil needs to find Angela so that he could kidnap her and use her to keep Jason from testifying against him. Also, because that's not enough new names that we have little to no context for all at once, Angela Dove used to be named Luanda Brown. Okay, duly noted. Starfire busts in and exclaims that she has big news for everybody. She wants them to come over to Frank's house at 8 o'clock tonight so they can meet him. In the other room, Raven overhears her teammate's conversation and proves that she is a true teen titan by eavesdropping on it. She hears her buddies talking about their feelings. She gets all mopey because she doesn't know how to talk about her feelings. On account of an Azeroth, they teach everybody to bottle up their feelings real good. Then she goes back to her room and listens to some Sisters of Mercy or something. The rest of the gang figures they have a couple hours to kill before they have to be at Frank's place, so they may as well rescue a kidnapping victim. Dick reckons that Big Phil is probably keeping Angela, nay Luanda, at his secret headquarters, which, fortunately, the police have a file on. So... Not so much a secret headquarters. Both in that it isn't a secret, and that it isn't in a discotheque in Long Island. Near as I can tell, Phil's not so secret HQ. It's just a shitty apartment. Man, fuck Big Phil. Also fuck Big Phil, because it seems like he's been torturing Angela, and is also implying that after he has used her as a hostage, he plans on inducting her into his prostitution ring. What a piece of shit. Fortunately, just then, the Titans bust in through a window and beat up all the bad guys. Hooray! Phil tries to use Angela as a human shield, but Starfire blasts him with her space laser fist and knocks him out. Hooray! Donna and Dick give her a little lecture about how it's good that she didn't kill him, but next time, don't knock him out so hard. Damn it, Captain. She may not play by your rules, but she gets results, and she's a damn good cop. Er, superhero. Also, she totally has been playing by your rules, so lay the fuck off, guys. Meanwhile, back in Connecticut, Frank has decided to confront the hive asshole who hired him to spy on Starfire. Only, he's really bad at it, and his plan is a little scattered. He starts by pulling a gun on the robed reprobate and saying that he's going to kill him. Okay, so far so good. Then he says he's not going to kill him, but he's also not going to spy for him anymore. Okay. Then he tells him that his gun doesn't have any bullets in it anyway. Huh. Then he gives the guy his empty gun. Um, yeah. So this well-thought-out and coherent negotiation strategy doesn't really pan out so well. The Hive guy takes out a gun that does have bullets and shoots Frank in the back. Well, yeah. I mean, bummer, but come on, Frank, how did you expect that shit to go down? A few minutes later, the gang arrives at Frank's house. Starfire finds her boyfriend bleeding to death on the floor. With his final breath, he tells Starfire that he loves her, and that his murderer lives at 226 Archer Street, two blocks down. Before he can finish telling her that if she passes the liquor store she's gone too far, he dies in her arms. Wow. I gotta say, considering how bad he was at quitting his crime job, those were some remarkably efficient last words. Coriander is understandably upset. Dick tries to tell her to calm down, so she backhands the fuck out of him. Hooray! Fucking deserved that, Dick. Then she flies off to kill the creep what murdered her man. She Kool-Aid mans her way through the purple robe-wearing asshat's wall and starts blasting the place up. She's about to kill the fuck out of the hooded murderous dipshit when Donna steps in and lassoes her rampaging roommate. Wonder Girl inserts herself between the Frank-killing fuckwit and Starfire's laser fists. She insists that the killer must face justice in a court of law and not at the hands of a vigilante. Uh, have you read your job description lately, Donna? An anguished coriander cries to the heavens at the unfairness of the situation and hurls herself into the night sky. 
Then Donna turns around and realizes that the murder she just insisted she would deliver into the hands of the authorities snuck away while she was proselytizing. Whoopsie. Donna once again swears that she will track down the guy and see that he answers for his crimes legally. But then we see the other guys in Hive weren't too crazy about him acting without their oversight, so they go ahead and murder him. Damn it, Donna. The next day, after the murderous murder victim's corpse is found, Dick and Donna commiserate and decide that while his death isn't exactly an ideal outcome, the important thing is that Starfire didn't kill him. Hooray? Oh, and also, they both totally knew that Franklin was a fucking creep who was spying on Starfire, but neither one of them is ever going to say anything about it. After all, keeping important secrets from one another is a Teen Titan tradition. And joining us once again is my good for many things brother, Corey. Corey, how's it going? It's going pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good myself. Good. What'd you think of the issue? Oh, it was fun. Yeah? And you seem disturbed. Well, I don't know. I get the message that they seem to really be focused on this whole killing is bad, violence is good conundrum. <laughs> right. But I don't know. Like, why is it okay that the bad guy met his end at the bullets of the hive, but not at Starfire's Starbolts? Because bad guys kill people, but good guys don't. So if a bad guy kills a bad guy, then it's cool. But if a good guy kills a bad guy, then the good guy's a bad guy. I get it. I get it. It still just seems kind of like a bummer. Yeah, I hear you. I think it might have been a little more satisfying if they had just either let Corey, not you, Corey, but Corey and I don't want to do anything bad. <laughs> well, I don't want to be a bad guy. I'm glad to hear that. Okay. But if they had let Corey Ander. <laughs> you mean Corey Anders? <laughs> yeah, well, we'll get to her secret identity in a minute. Okay. But if they had let her even come to the conclusion herself that killing this douche lord wouldn't bring her buddy back or wouldn't really solve anything or it wouldn't be satisfying to her personally, then I think it would have been more satisfying to us, the reader, than to just have Wonder Girl jump between them and be like, you'll have to kill me too. We just saw Gar go through this and I feel like it was pretty... Yeah, I feel like the point has been kind of made. That being said, overall, I thought this had a pretty good story and I really did actually like this issue. For an issue that's generally as dark as it is, there was a lot of pretty fun stuff in it. It was good. I, I felt like for Raven, I sort of came around a little bit to be less annoyed with her. Yeah, there were a couple of things about Raven's arc that I really did enjoy that I thought were pretty well done, too. I liked that her comparative ancient philosophies class was filled with a bunch of, like, meatheads. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminded me of The Shadow, the old radio show. Ah, uh, what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The Shadow knows. <laughs> yes. I love that show, first of all. But what reminded me of it is whenever they would have a bad guy, the bad guy would have the same accent regardless of what kind of bad guy he was. And it was like, oh, these guys, ah, you can't fool me, The Shadow. Hmm. But it would be like, well, Mr. District Attorney, it appears that you've been letting criminals off scot-free. Oh, I have? Oh, we'll see about that, Shadow. Get him, boys. Right. It seems like they have one type of harassing meathead template that they use in this. And doesn't matter that she's in a comparative ancient philosophies class. That's the type of dude that's like, I heard you talking at comparative philosophy class. Give me some sugar, baby. Mm -hmm. Although, I'm not saying that dude doesn't exist. There are 
douchey, abusive harassers in every walk of life, and I think especially prevalent in colleges. So I enjoyed that aspect of Raven's story. Mm -hmm. I like that it talks about that even though her power is channeling other people's emotions, she was raised and trained purposefully keeping herself out of touch with her own emotions, bottling up all of her feelings to the point where it is having really severely negative effects on her life, which led me to a question. Do you think Azeroth is in New England? (laughs) (laughs) Because I was reading that and I was like, oh yeah, no, I get that. I think that was maybe why we both started coming around on Raven a little more. It was just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I was raised that way as well. Yeah, huh, Azeroth. I think we used to we used to play them at soccer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I also was struck with the thought, well, okay, cool. So she's come around to have this realization. It's not going to hurt anything if she uses her powers of empathy to go, like, find somebody that's having an awesome day. And, and just, be, just like, be, like, stoked. Yeah, and just be like, hey, dude, can I get in on that? And, like, you know, empathy. I think it might, actually. Like, I think that would be kind of a dick move on her part. Because well, it she take, take it. I think it, it does. T- oh. Because so. when somebody is feeling pain, it's not like when she uses her power, oh. she also feels pain and so do they. So I think it might be like if somebody else is like super stoked about something, then oh. she'd be like, vloop. Oh. Can I just suck the joy out of your... Can I, can I be a joy vampire? Yeah. I'm a real joy, Dracula. Oh, never mind. Can What if, though, like it was somebody that wanted to be bummed out, but they were happy? Like a goth? Right. Like, she just goes around to, like, Morrissey concerts and brings a puppy with her. Yeah. And then they look at the puppy and they're like, oh, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God, take it away, make it stop. Yeah. Yeah, she should go to the, hang out with the drama kids. (laughs) Yeah, I think that would be a possible solution to her conundrum. Okay. And it's not like they wouldn't hang out with her anyway. Right. Like, she shows up, dressed in her back-to-school duds. Well, that's the thing, though. Like, she's abandoned the goth thing for... Apparently Indian garb. Yeah. And, uh... Yeah, she's wearing kind of a sari. Yeah, and my only thing there was I was trying to fit, like, I was like, oh, that's an odd choice. Maybe it's because the thing on her forehead kind of looks like a bindi. And so that's her version of having a secret identity? And she's just like, yeah, well, they'll probably just assume. (laughs) (laughs) You know what goes over really well on college campuses? Hmm. Cultural appropriation. Oh, yeah. (laughs) If I dress like a white kid who is dressing like a Hindi person, I think that may be her plan. Let's go back to secret identities for a bit. Sure. Corey Anders. Hmm. How the fuck is Starfire even (laughs) attempting a secret identity? Well, Donna's been coaching her. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, but Starfire, she has bright orange skin. Her hair is like a 10-foot mane of space fire. Mm Mm-hmm. She has green eyes with no pupils. Mm-hmm. Her secret identity costume is a pair of sunglasses. Well, yeah, because that way nobody knows she doesn't have a pupil sub. Right, you're right. That is the most conspicuous thing about her <laughs> appearance, especially as both uh, her secret identity and her crime-fighting identity are very, very public. Mm-hmm. They both have their picture in the newspaper mm-hmm. and magazines. Mm-hmm. Nobody's putting this together. Well, it's the same. I mean, this is an extreme example of it, but like the whole Donna Troy thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, no. You change your clothes and your face suddenly looks totally different. At least Donna Troy as Wonder Girl is behind the camera instead of in front of the camera. Yeah, but there's got to be 
pictures yeah. of her out there and or people that just know her or work with her will yeah. be like oh that's weird she looks exactly like wonder girl i'll yeah. just not bring that up it is like i said though with her at least it is limited to people who know her mm-hmm. like it's before the internet so it is harder to get pictures of people oh good point like you couldn't just google her yeah, I know what you're saying. I, I can see that it is analogous to Wonder Girl's, quote, secret identity, end quote. But with Coriander, <laughs> it is straining credulity, perhaps, a bit more. <laughs> what? Uh, also, want to bring up the idea that this dude she's dating, Franklin Crandall, mm-hmm. who, real piece of shit. Well, yeah. Yeah, he's a real piece of shit who eventually feels bad about it. But mm-hmm. he's a real piece of shit, Cory. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry that he died before he got to have any kind of redemption. But his job is seducing women and taking advantage of them so that they could be betrayed by supervillains. His justification really didn't really help no. either. He was like, well, all the other ones were rich, so that's fine. But this girl's innocent. <laughs> so he's kind of a class warrior. Oh, yeah. 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 He's fighting for <laughs> social justice and equality. What a great guy. Starfire was dating him for a month. Mm-hmm. They spent every day together for a month. Mm-hmm. She did not take off her sunglasses once for that month when they were together. Not when they were together. No. And he was, despite that, able to see through her clever disguise. Some, a fact no. which amazed her. She was surprised by that. Yeah. Another fun thing about her maintaining a secret identity, she still, in times of stress, goes, Zahal! <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, what's that, honey? Oh, just a thing I say. Where I'm from. I guess maybe just in the 80s, people didn't ask follow-up questions. He said, he did notice too, like there was, a, I think they sort of tried to not explain away, but there was at the very beginning where he made some comment about like, oh, I just assumed your skin tone was from a, a Mediterranean tan. The tanning. Yeah. Yeah. Mediterranean. Where people are orange. Yeah. Also, it makes me wonder, I mean, I guess I don't have to wonder. Clearly she isn't, because Wolfman loves phonetically spelling out accents. But it does make me kind of wonder if Coriander is speaking in a very broad Italian accent the whole time. (laughs) It's uh, strange that she and uh, the jeans man didn't get along better. I know. Man, so yes, our favorite scumbag offensive Italian stereotype. (laughs) <laughs> hey, Sergio <laughs> DeLevy. He's a back. Oh. I was pretty happy to see him, actually. Yeah. He's such a scumbag. But Donna's <laughs> working for him. There's not often a sentence construction you hear. I was really happy to see him. He's such a scumbag. <laughs> he really is, but I was totally happy. <laughs> you don't have any friends like that? Uh, do I? No. I've known a couple of... I wouldn't say scumbags. But I would say I've definitely known some very charming dirtbags. Oh, sure. But not scumbags. Yeah. Scumbags, generally, I try to steer clear of. I still feel like those people where you're like, I like hanging out with the the guy, but... I wouldn't vouch for him. Yeah. But you're also like, I don't know. I'm generally not super excited to, you know, come in contact with those people. I'm like, well, it'll be interesting. I'll hear some things. But then I've heard those things. Yeah. I, I definitely have for the most part, called from my life friends that I have to make excuses for or feel like I have to explain. Mm. Yeah, which is not something I'm upset about. Yep. Well, no. no With the exception of Sergio (laughs) DeLevy. So he shows up and he hits on Starfire 
Is that a panel that's going to come up later? Uh, no, it's not. But it, it okay, did, then really... we do need to talk about yeah. it. It was perhaps the most succinct <laughs> non-verbal. <laughs> he just points at the ceiling, right? He... Okay. That was my impression that he had an apartment upstairs and he was just like, we go. <laughs> There's a scene where he is hitting on Starfire and Donna is explaining that Starfire brushed it off. She's not as naive as sometimes we think she is. Although from the rest of this issue, we do in fact see that she's pretty naive. Mm-hmm. But she brushes Sergio DeLevy aside, even though he may think that they're from the same country. <laughs> But the scene in which he is apparently hitting on her and she is brushing him aside is, yes, he is grabbing her arm and just uh, holding one finger pointing in the air. And, yeah, <laughs> my I, I had not interpreted it the way that you did, where it's just like, we go upstairs, yes? <laughs> I had thought it was more of a, oh, I have an idea. We have sex. Ah. <laughs> just came up with this. Eh? See or no? Either way, it is brushed aside, which, good for Starfire. Mm. It also had not occurred to me before that Mr. DeLevy is having jeans that say L-E-V-I on the back. And, like, I was trying to read it and I was like, oh, Levi. Wait, is she wearing Levi's? Oh, I wonder if that's a reference to Levi's jeans. Because they were advertising like crazy in the early 80s. Yeah. Although not like these ads. I wish I could see ads that, whether they had Starfire in them or not, these are cool looking ads where she's like conquering a planet and sticking a flag in it that says, well, here's the thing. Yeah, pretty much. But it says SDL for, I'm I'm assuming, Sergio DeLevy, except for one panel in which it says LDL. So she's got two different flags. Low density lipids? Yes. I was wondering what it stood for. That makes sense. And now, is that like what's in a lustra that makes you bleed out of your butt? It's the, uh, oh, shit, I always mix this up. There's two kinds of cholesterol. One is bad and gives you heart attacks, okay. and one's good. One's high density and one's low density. Do you remember if it's the good one or the bad one? No, I'm going to go with bad. Okay, well, then I don't know why she would be planting that flag in there. Like, Maybe she's labeling that moon. This moon is made of bad, bad cholesterol. cholesterol. Yeah. It's that green cheese shit. Yeah. Don't eat it. Don't eat it, you guys, or you won't be able to look this good in these jeans. Bam. There we go. Yep. We've solved the mystery. <laughs> Sergio DeLevy would like you to know that this moon is made out of low-density lipids. Yes. Yes. Which are, yeah, either good or bad cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Either way, she is marking it. Well done. Jeans advertisement, Starfire. (laughs) Yep. So, she meets Frank... What was his last name again? Crandall. Crandall. It is not a pleasing name to say. Franklin Crandall. Franklin Crandall sounds better than when she shortens it to Frank Crandall. Franklin Crandall. Franklin Crandall. Frank Crandall. Yeah, it does sound... Frank Crandall. If you don't say the... If you don't say the the wind, yeah. It's not good. Yeah, and she does call him Frank a couple of times. Mm Mm-hmm. He's an idiot. I, am I wrong? Mr. Crandall? Yes. I mean, I don't. I hate to speak ill of the dead, but he's an idiot, right? He certainly didn't have a good grasp on the situation in which he was embroiled with the hive guy. Yeah. He didn't. He just really... Yeah, I think he's an idiot. I think he's one of those idiots that... Do you think he's just has, skated through life on his good looks? Yeah, he's like just way too confident that things will work out right he which is a form of he's living in that kind of bubble yeah that that very attractive people live in Mm -hmm. i mean we've both been able to pierce that bubble (laughs) shockingly 
<laughs> overcome it. <laughs> it's, yeah. Well, you know. Here, here. Cheers. Okay, so he decides that he's going to kill the hive guy. I'd say he thinks about it. He says he came there to kill the guy. Did he take the bullets out of his gun before he went there? He must have. So, how's that work? <laughs> I don't know. I, I want to take a look at this page because it was... <laughs> I was like, wait, what is his plan here? I'm calling off our deal. And you came here to kill me? I did, but I've never killed before. And I'm not starting now. So here, take my gun. It doesn't have any bullets in it anyhow. <laughs> what the hell? Th those, like, three panels just took us on a weird journey there. Maybe he's just like, uh, like a bimbo man. Yeah, he's an idiot. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the other thing, though. He says, and you came here to kill me. Now, Franklin is found dead in his own apartment. Mm -hmm. Is he roommates with the hive guy? <laughs> oh, I just assumed the hive guy somehow took him to the apartment and dropped him off. Maybe. Oh. It really looks like the same apartment, though. So, no. Okay, here's what happened. The hive guy was... It's got the same lamp. was waiting for him at his apartment. Because they were supposed to meet there. They were supposed to meet there. Franklin went and got a gun. Thought about it, took the bullets out, <laughs> still went upstairs, and... Like, I'm gonna kill you with this gun. I'm not really gonna kill you. Also, it doesn't have any bullets. Would you like this gun? <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah, that's the other part. It's like, here, have a gun as a parting gift. Uh, he did not think his plan out. Nope. So that's Franklin for you. Snappy dresser, though. Yeah, we will get to that later, for sure. Mm. Speaking of plans I didn't quite understand, uh, what did you, uh, what was Big Phil's plan with Angela Dove? He was using her to get her boyfriend to not testify. To not him. testify, yeah. Okay. Her boyfriend was missing, though, I thought. Was he just with the feds at that point? My assumption was he was in hiding, and then... With the feds, probably. Yeah, and, okay. then, and then the gangster was using the girlfriend to get him to come out of hiding so he could take okay. care of him. How was he going to get word to him? He's going to take out an ad in the Sunday Times. And oh, like, or the Underworld Star? I don't think he reads that. She probably has his phone number. Okay. And so he's like, call your boyfriend. Tell, tell him the news. Okay, but why did he need to break into Donna's... And Starfire's apartment? Because he needed to find out where... Uh, cheesecake photographs. Yeah, okay. He wanted to get some cheesecake photographs. <laughs> what does that even mean? You're, are you not familiar with the term cheesecake photographs? No. It, it would be like, uh, not necessarily nudie shots, but sexy pictures. Really? Yeah. I never heard that before. Yeah, like the, uh, like pinups kind of, okay. kind of shots are called cheesecake photos. Why? Um... Because they're delicious? Because the Golden Girls love them? Um, <laughs> I'm not sure. It's a weird expression. I thought Cyborg was just, you know, saying things. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. The pictures to identify what the model I guess he, looks he like. wanted the contact sheet from her photographs. So I guess he needed to get her address from Donna, but he had Donna's address. That did seem really it seems superfluous. Like I was just having a little bit of trouble figuring out what was going on with Big Phil's plan there. Um, there was some pretty fun wordplay with Big Phil, who seems like a real asshole, because he also at least heavily implies that he is involved in uh, a prostitution ring mm -hmm. and that he wants to... Turn out. 
to turn out Angela for that purpose. I guess after he finishes blackmailing? I don't know. But he at one point says, like, you understand where I'm coming from, don't you, babe? And then that's when the Titans come in and beat them all up. And that's pretty great. And Robin gives a very funny little speech. Robin does not care for this conduct. No. We usually find ourselves fighting costumed creeps, jerks out to conquer the world and such. But you know something? Stopping slugs like you is much more satisfying, because what you punks do makes me personally very mad. Yeah, it's a good speech. Well, even Big Phil agrees. Not a bad speech, kid. Maybe I'll have it carved on your gravestone. And then points out that he has a knife to Angela's throat. Because if you do, well, Miss Doves here is going to make her last flight if you understand where I'm coming from. And then Starfire blasts him with a starbolt that apparently doesn't kill him, but is set on stun. But it's set on too high a stun for the rest of the team, which, come on, guys, cut her some slack. Yeah, no kidding. But when she blasts him, she says, no, we don't kill her. Which, weird that she is using killer as a slur against the man. Seeing as she wants to kill people, but is being restrained and frustrated and doesn't understand why killing is wrong. Also, I like the idea that she's like, no, I don't understand what you're saying. It doesn't make sense. So she blasts him. And I wonder if she does that kind of shit a lot. (laughs) You understand what I mean? Nope. Boom. You're confusing me. (laughs) I'm sorry. Scree. Yep. But yeah, that, that I thought was pretty fun. God, I feel like we say this pretty much every Teen Titans issue, but gorgeous artwork. Yeah, so good. Yeah. And we see that the dude was operating counter to the hierarchy of... Hierarchy of individual vile evil? No, it's not that good. I-V-E. Hierarchy of international vengeance. Elimination. Oh, hierarchy (laughs) of international vengeance and elimination. (laughs) This <laughs> is the worst acronym. God, it makes SHIELD sound like it actually should stand for something. By our fiber. Or else. <laughs> but we see them give their retribution for the dude who acted against them by trying to impress them by doing stuff on his own. Mm-hmm. They all give the thumbs down and you see that they all shoot him. Mm-hmm. Which I kind of like that they all shot him. Because they say he was found with six bullets in his chest. Good. I'm glad he's dead. I'm no Teen Titan about this. Yeah, fuck that guy. Really makes Donna look like an idiot, though. How so? I'm going to tell you a little speech that she gives when she protects the dude from Starfire and then just doesn't pay attention and lets him leave. So yeah, Starfire's about to kill the dude who killed Starfire's uh, fiancé? Maybe possible fiancé. They may Definitely be boyfriend. Yeah, or maybe they just got a couch. Maybe they decided to go to home run town. And they wanted to invite everyone over to watch? No. Cameron's a weird place. No, no not watch. Just, just like, like hey, let them know. We just wanted to let you guys We're going to take things to the next level. Yeah. It's kind of a big deal. Anyway, you guys stay out here. Enjoy the party. We'll be back in Franklin. Seven minutes. <laughs> okay. He's mine. He's going to die. Then you'll have to kill me first. We have laws here, Starfire, and if you stay on this planet, you'll have to obey them, because if you don't, no matter how much we love you as a friend, we'll be forced to hunt you down. So what's it going to be? She leaves. She freaks out. After she leaves, Donna's like, I'm sorry, I really am, but it had to be this way. I'll find him for you, Corey. I swear I'll find him, and he'll pay, but according to our laws. That's the way things have to be, whether we like it or not. She 
didn't find him. And he did pay, but not according to their laws. According to gangland justice. That's right. The hierarchy of international vengeance and espionage. Elimination. Elimination. God, I'm sorry. It's okay. It's not. It really isn't. Yeah, one other fun note. Hmm. How old do you think Terry Long is? We've established before they say that he's like 29 or 30-ish. He has a very old telephone. (laughs) What? He has a telephone that has a separate mouthpiece and earpiece. Oh, I'm quite sure that's just affectation. Okay. It's like, I'm a a professor. I'm a professor of history. Uh, This telephone's from history. I like typewriters. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, God. Do you think he brings typewriters to bars? Yep. Fucking douche. Donna's like, oh, it's so charming. It's just so crazy. He's such a free spirit. It's like he doesn't care what people think. It's like he's not even seeking attention. I know. God, that Terry Long. To be fair, I used to have a telephone like that. I remember. (laughs) (laughs) It was a different time. (laughs) (laughs) When I was awful. There was actually one thing I wanted to talk about. There was a fun little series of dialogue in here that really cracked me up that I like to call the return of dick talk. Is it after the swimming pool or the swimming pool part? No, that was good too. Ah. No, I'm saying it's right after the almost murder, but everybody is calling Robin Dick and it really cracked me up the way they were doing that. Remember when there was the don't give me that garbage dick? How could Um, we forget? I pray that we never do. But this section, it's after Starfire has just found Frank Crandall dead and she's freaking out and Robin's like, hey, I know know you just found your dead fiance on the floor, but calm down. And she says, I've had it with listening to you, dick. Always telling me what to do, telling me to hold in my power. Where did it get me, dick? (laughs) We'll see how terrible my power is, dick. (laughs) And then Cyborg's like, we got to stop her. She'll kill him. And Wonder Girl says, no, Victor. You take care of Dick. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's his name. It's still funny to me. It is funny. Also, do you think that Starfire and Robin were having casual sex? It seems to be implied. It kind of did. Like, they're hanging out, and Robin is like, we can't do this anymore. We can't keep meeting up like this. It's bad for teamwork. It really seemed like that was a post-coital conversation. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after that, he's like, oh, so we shouldn't see each other anymore. And then she starts dating somebody else, and he's like, hmm. Kind of jealous. I don't want her to see anybody else, though. Yeah. Fucking dick. And he does also end it with that, like, I love you friendly way. Yeah, I love you, but just as a friend. A friend that I have lots of sex with, apparently. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Minutia? Let's. We got minutia. It's not the biggest part, it's just minutia. Like Corey eating farts, we got minutia. Time to sweat the small stuff. Thanks, Rick. So, what do you want to start on? Insults. Bozone. Okay, let's take this party to the bozone. What instance of one character referring to another character as a metaphoric bozo or resonated the most deeply with you? I had a couple choices, and I don't feel like either of them are real zingers. I feel like I might have missed some of the good stuff, so I'm curious to hear what you've come up with. Okay. But I can tell you. 
I liked it, and we already talked about this when Robin gave his speech and referred to the bad guys not only as punks, but also as slugs, and that he personally really did not care for their behavior. <laughs> right. It personally makes him very mad. Very mad. Personally. Personally. And as he's delivering this need of some guy's solar plexus and, like, totally fucking shit up. I also did enjoy that. I, I went with kind of a different example. I, I felt like there was some pretty decent insults flung at Big Phil's gang. But the phrasing of insults that I liked the most was Cyborg talking shit about himself. Mm. So it's a, it's a rare self-bozo mm. moment. From the most common bozo artist we have. Indeed. He's thinking to himself, and it is right after Robin has just said, What's the worry? Everything's nifty. <laughs> because he's a teen, and that's how teens talked oh, in the 80s. Jeepers. But Cyborg thinks to himself, So everything's nifty. Is it short pants? Not for this second-rate erector set, it ain't. Mm. Corey's got herself a new guy. Dick and Logan's got a dozen gals each. Wally's got the witch. And Donna and that Terry Long dude are tighter in Brookshield's jeans. <laughs> but me, I got zilch. Blah, blah, blah. Blast. Maybe Vic Stone was a big college hero, but Cyborg's nothing more than a chrome-plated chicken. Yeah. So... Chrome-plated chicken and second-rate erector set were my favorite Bozone moments. Although, Vic, you're not a second-rate erector set. You are, bare minimum, top-of-the-line erector set. Yeah. There dude. is some powerful technology in there. And I'm sure that's not chrome. It's probably, you're a titanium-encased chicken. Yeah, at yeah. least. Yeah, probably palladium-plated chicken. Maybe tungsten. Oh, that's a very good conductor. Is it? I don't know. They make uh, wedding rings out of it. Tungsten? Mm-hmm. Tungsten steel. Huh. Good to know. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. Yeah, then probably that is, that's what he's made of. Mm-hmm. Could be. This has been Science Corner. Yeah. Also, that thing about lipids. Lipids and steel. Yeah. Way to go. I also liked it when Raven called the guy that was trying to defend her a common brawler. I liked that, too, and... I was mocking it earlier a little bit, but really that type of personality does absolutely ring true. They're like, no, baby, I'm a pacifist even, but then wants to be like the white knight and slug the dude to protect this lady. Also, like, is Azeroth common knowledge? I don't know. Like, Seems he, like sa not. he says, I thought I was the only one who heard of Azeroth. Like, it's like a fucking indie band. I know, that's what I was thinking. Like, he liked their... Their, you know, he liked their cool album covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, well, those album covers are fucking rad. Mm -hmm. But he's like, yeah, man. I mean, I totally dig their early pacifism shit. Not so much their later expelling you from their kingdom work, but man, mm. their early shit's tight. Yeah, I really only like the first three records. Yeah, yeah, like that's totally a type of dude. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a type of dude who should get called out as a common brawler. And the dude that he punches look kind of like you. Rudy? Yeah. He, like, yeah. Not your face, Rudy but Rudy didn't your... even really do anything wrong. He was just like, hey guys, what's going on? Yeah, Rudy, <laughs> Rudy shows up like the big meathead dude who had just been like, yeah, what? I just said we're going to hang out and talk because it was real hot the way you said ancient philosophy shit, babe. And she's like, no. And he's like, oh, you'll talk philosophy with me. And like grabs her. And so she like palms his forehead and and basically like sucks all the violence out of him. Mm -hmm. And so he's just like, ooh, I'm tranquil. And understandably, Rudy is like, hey, what'd you do to him? 
And then out of nowhere, fucking Azeroth fan number one pops in and is just like, leave her alone, Rudy! And punches Whack. him in the face. Yeah. Rudy didn't do shit wrong. No, he was just confused. He's just confused and it's just like, hey, did you just zombify this dude? Bad move, common brawler. Yep. Yeah. Let's see what to hit up next. Let's go sound effect, because that actually transitions into that scene for me. Very good. What was your favorite sound effect? This issue, for me, sound effects are all about alliteration. Okay. So I'm just going to chain them together. Let's hear them. And I'm going to go with Swack, Squawk, Scratch. Nice. Which scene was that? The Swack was... Uh, I didn't write Oh, was that the, the Robin number. Punch? Yeah. That was when Starfire just backhands the shit out of Robin because she's tired of his shit. Which was also pretty hilarious to me. I agree. He grabs her shoulder and he's like, chill out. She's like, whack! Or, I'm sorry, <laughs> She swack. says, swack, yes. The swack was, I think, when Rudy got clocked. <laughs> yes, swack. And then, uh, spack? No, scratch, when they um, bash through the window and beat up the goons. Ah, very nice. The warehouse. Yeah, we've also got scrack um, and a bunch of screes. There's a lot of um, S. Words. There <laughs> is. Issue. And actually, my favorite was the swalk of Rudy getting punched. Mm. But what I liked about it was because we've seen swalk a couple of times or variations of it, and it's usually a pretty dynamic, like punch type thing. I liked about this swalk that it kind of seemed to be making the Rudy puncher seem ineffectual and bad at punching because mm. it was done in really small letters in a larger mm. screen, which was just like, oh, that's a little sound effect. He's a bad puncher in addition to being a bad dude. Mm. And bad I like meaning that. bad. Not bad meaning good. Okay. <laughs> that is... Ding, ding, do, dee, do, dee, do, dee, do. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so that was my favorite sound effect. Let's talk about clothes. Oh, yes. Sartorially speaking, I believe it came up earlier, Frank Crandall's number one getup. Pretty dope. Pretty dope. He is wearing a lime green three-piece suit with... Those high-waisted 70s tight pants. Uh Uh-huh. And is he wearing a shirt under it, or is it just a very low-buttoned shirt? I know he's showing a lot of chest hair. I wasn't sure if he was just wearing the vest. I think he had a shirt with big collars and a vest. So big lapels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he definitely does have a shirt. Like a, uh, he a just billowy, doesn't like to a, button. A white, you know, shiny shirt. Oh, and sometimes he's wearing a tie with it. It didn't look like he was wearing a tie before. Sometimes he has a tie, like a pink tie. But I think he just puts the tie on after his shirt is completely unbuttoned. Because, mm. like, when he's wearing the whole suit, he doesn't have the tie on. But when he takes the jacket off... Then he does the thing, the, like, drunk at a wedding reception thing, Mm. where the tie is around his neck but not tied. Mm -hmm. I did like that outfit. He's a snappy dresser. I like Starfire's modeling space jeans getup. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It's like a weird variation on a superhero suit. And I I think it would be kind of cool if she incorporated that into her regular crime fighting gear. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, just blue jeans and a weird top with robified arms and uh, some starburst patterns and on a, it. And a cravat. And a cravat and some mirrored sunglasses. It's pretty cool. Yep. She looks like a rocker. Yeah. I like it. Me too. It's a real pie not made out of steel. Although I guess she couldn't really incorporate that into her crime fighting look because that might compromise her secret identity. Oh, true. Yeah. 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 The purple bikini. Right. Really hides... There is something to be said for that. 
there is a guy that I had to kick out of the bar that I worked at all the time who, okay, not a purple bikini, but he would always show up wearing this like bright orange, like construction vest type thing. And so the first like four or five times I was like, okay, I see that. And I'm like, get the fuck out of here. You can't be in here. Then he started coming in like a couple weeks later and he just wasn't wearing a bright orange construction vest. And I was like, wait, who's this guy? And it took me a while to be realize, oh, that's the same guy. He can't come in here. He's an mm. asshole. Uh, so there is something to be said of the conspicuous outfit being its own sort of disguise once removed. Yeah, I still don't think the purple bikini is going to fool a ton of people. Nope. All right. So who is your favorite? Sartorially speaking? Yes. I'm going to go with Frank Crandall. Yeah? Yeah. Pretty I, good. How about you? I have a uh, team choice which are uh, cerulo's henchmen yeah i liked that they all have orange shirts and bluish purple pants yeah i thought that the uh what do you call those colors that are opposite on the color wheel well complementary colors yeah they're not quite complementary colors because they're both secondary colors purple and orange you can only have primary complementary colors no it has to be one primary and one complementary that's how they're opposite so it would be purple and yellow would be complementary colors what about blue and orange uh, blue and orange are complementary colors. Okay, so they've got blue and orange uniforms. No, Corey! That's <laughs> <laughs> well, a good look. It is a good look. Yeah. Yeah. That's all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was your show-and-tell moment? My show-and-tell moment, I will need the comic book because there's a fair amount of dialogue in there. But it's Raven answering her own question on page 16. <laughs> oh, boy. I should at least note that we're not discussing it because Corey's collection doesn't have it in it, but there is an 18-page Captain Carrot special preview in this book, much like the New Teen Titans debuted <laughs> in DC Comics Presents number 26 in an 18-page insert. Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew debut in this issue, and it is a really fun story. It makes me want to read some Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew. And, you know, for the two teams that debuted in special preview inserts like this, I wonder which is going to be the more influential. The New Teen Titans or the Zoo Crew? Could be either one. Time will tell. Only time will tell. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so my show and tell moment was on page 16 when Raven's having her inner dialogue. She's questioning why she's unable to tell the rest of the team how she feels. Sure. Like that. She's just kind of bummed out. And she says, why? I know why. All my life, I've been taught to hide my emotions. Hmm. And there's a bunch of other stuff she says. Yeah. But I just... But she she's like, why is this? Oh, I know why. Very good. Mine was some show-and-tell caption work that was done when Starfire was about to kill the Hive Douche Lord. She steps closer. There is no joy in her wide-open eyes. And it's a close-up of her eyes. Mm-hmm. We, which we can see are, in fact, wide open. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Her boyfriend just got murdered. There are tears in her eyes. You didn't need to tell me that there's no joy in them, nor that they were wide open. Mm, fair. It works. It's a fairly effective panel, but it is also just like, well, yeah, no, there isn't any joy in those wide open eyes. There are also no pupils in those wide open eyes. Nope. So they could have said no joy in her pupilless wide, wide open, open eyes. eyes. That are also, there was no joy or stigmatism in her wider open bright green eyes yes bright green yeah so i'm sorry there was no joy no stigmatism and no pupils mm. in her wide open bright green eyes indeed 
Man, I should be a comic book writer. Favorite panel? I had a couple to choose from. Me too. This is a beautifully drawn issue, as we've said a couple yes. times. Which is my favorite. I'm going to go with the runner-up first, which is on page 18, and I call it the Borgie Blast. Okay. Let's take a look at that. It's extremely dynamic. It's a cyborg using his noise generator to bust in a window and jump through it and fuck up some bad guys. And uh, Yeah, that's pretty great. It's almost psychedelic and kaleidoscopic at the same time. It really is. Like, you see the doorway that he's busting through is all in blue. He is the only character in it that is colored in normally. And then everything outside of the doorway is exploding in a shower of, like, yellow burst. And then all of the people are in purple, which are complementary colors. Trippy. Yeah. It looks really cool. Well done. I had a matched pair of panels for my favorites. They both feature Starfire. One is on page 12, and it is called Love. Oh, she's Because she's just saying the word love, and she is so happy. And she is doing that thing where she does the backstroke above the city, and she just looks so happy, and it's really sweet. And it just says, I'm in love, and she's just saying the word love. Mm -hmm. It's really cool. Good for her. Sorry it doesn't last. Also, sorry, the guy's a douche. The matched pair of that panel is on page 23, and I call it Hate. And it is her about to try to kill the hive bad guy. And Starbolt power is just kind of oozing from her hands, and she is just standing in a Hey Kool-Aid manned shattered wall that she's just burst through and smoldering. That is a good one. It's pretty cool. And my favorite panel is uh, f- the follow-up to that one on page 24 that I called um, Angry Starfire. And it's where she's, again, getting ready to just blast this dude to kingdom come. And uh, man, does she look mad. Yeah, well, and that's compounded by the fact that she's saying, he's mine, he's going to die. Mm-hmm. But it's drawn very cool. Really cool. There's some really good Starfire art in this issue. Indeed. All right. Well... Every issue of a Teen Titans comic book has a Speedy, the worst of Teen Titans, and Mm -hmm. also an Aqualad, the best of Teen Titans. Mm -hmm. In this issue, who did you have for your Speedy and Aqualad? I suspect there may be a bit of controversy about this. All right, let's hear it. But not about my Speedy. Okay. Because that was actually a little bit of a challenge for me. I had to go back and forth between a couple of people on the Speedy. It wasn't that nobody was displaying qualities that I disliked, but which one and it was it was almost a tie, but I had to make a choice. Yeah, so kind of same for me and so my choice uh, in this issue was Wally. Not only because he was not really present for a lot of what was going on, but because I'm getting annoyed with his anguish of having this crush on on raven and just not knowing how to deal with it i don't think he doesn't know how to deal with it i i think it's it's a frustrating situation that he's in but it's not like he's hidden his feelings from her and is just like and then someday we'll get together i'll just hang out and be around her until then i just feel like doing the nice guy tm thing it's he has talked about it they've had open and frank discussions about their feelings for each other and he is like okay well she's not ready for it and that sucks for me but i want to be supportive of her and i want to be her friend i think he's being a nice guy about it i'm just annoyed that he's like like oh so lame why do i miss something i didn't have in the first place okay i know that seems harsh a little bit 
I I I was I came down to Robin or Donna for my for my speedies. And who was your speedy? Gosh. Robin, why Robin? I don't like his handling of the Starfire situation, and both he and Donna are very insensitive when her fiance is dead. It, and like he, what's funny about and it, in a very consistent Teen Titans way of in the same way that Donna kind of dealt with when Gar wanted to go seek vengeance. It's just like, look, we're all upset that your parents are dead, but what's the big deal? Mm-hmm. I I think I'm gonna come down to I, I, and Robin did some of that, and also his whole they're having a ca- casual hookups, and then he's like, we have to stop doing this because it's bad for teamwork. And then she starts dating somebody, and he gets super jealous, pretends he doesn't remember the dude's name, mm-hmm. and also does this move where he's diving into the pool. And it's like, everybody look at me, look at me, Donna. Donna, why aren't you looking at me? And then gets out of the pool. It's like, she, she's like, I'm sorry, I'm a bit distracted. He's like, yeah, you are a bit distracted. I just did a good, good dive. That is all true. Those are good points. I think I'm tipping slightly in Donna's favor for the speedy. Both because she did kind of the same thing that she had done before with Gar's parent, where she's kind of being like, calm down, what's the big deal? She also was very overprotective of coriander in the first place and was like saying that like i don't know if you have my permission to date this guy because you don't even know him and he just asked you out Mm -hmm. turns out those were actually fairly good instincts but (laughs) i did like too that it got brought up that she when she caught herself doing that she said god and it was spelled (laughs) Uh g-a-w-d i was like oh that's the workaround for they can't say the G-O-D in the comic book, maybe. In that context, as an exclamation. Mm-hmm. But they can't blaspheme? I don't know. Probably not. Mm. I mean, there are aspects of her whole lineage at this point with the whole Greek gods that's probably seen as at least slightly blasphemous, depending on... I mean, assuming that you're not of the Greek pantheon religion. Mm. Or I guess probably even if you are. Mm. But also because Donna did such a bad job when she protected Starfire from killing that dude and then just was like, oh shit, he left when I was yelling at my buddy. Oh well, I'll track him down and then he gets killed like a few minutes later. Mm -hmm. So Donna is my speedy. Conversely, she was my Aqualad. Why? Well, everything you said makes sense. Okay. And I get it. And in general, I'm not one to say just because you have strong convictions means you get to be an asshole. But in this case, or or because it's coming from a good place in your heart, it's okay to be an asshole. But I'm giving her that, that pass in this place because I think that she really did not want to be a hard ass, but she kind of felt like it was all falling on her to not have another, like, a uh, Logan repeat where the kid's all fucked up because he killed somebody. Okay. And so she was just doing what she thought was best at the time, but she did did a terrible job of it, but I think that... Her heart was in the right place. Her heart was in the right place, and that it was very difficult, and she didn't really want to do this stuff, but she really did it all out of, you know, love and compassion for Coriander. Okay. Conversely, I had for my Aqualad Wally. Um, (laughs) I thought that he was honestly trying to be a supportive good friend to somebody who he has very conflicted feelings about, and that he also wasn't like rushing in and being like, I'm going to go to classes with her and totally take care of her. I think it's a difficult situation for him, but he is trying to be a genuine friend. And it it can be a dicey situation where, yes, he does still want to date her, but he is trying to give her space and let her work her own feelings out. And I thought he was doing a good job of that. And that he didn't, like, rush in and try to protect her and punch out dudes and shit. Mm-hmm. My backup uh, was Raven, 
who I thought did a pretty good job mm -hmm. for the most part. I liked her little speech about comparative ancient religious philosophies. Mm -hmm. And I like that she's uh, trying to get herself out there. And I know that it is very difficult for her because she has been very sheltered and is also a very introspective person. And the idea of overcoming her, what seems like at least mild agoraphobia, mm -hmm. is very difficult for her. I think she actually does a better job. I'm going to change it. I'm going to go with uh, Raven, despite the fact that I do kind of like having the symmetry of mm. my Speedy being your Aqualad and vice versa. I, I think... Hearing it all said out loud, yeah, I feel like your choices are, you know, emotionally healthier than mine. <laughs> <laughs> but it is what it is. Indeed. Which brings us to the end of the minutia. But, oh, thank you, donors. Thank you, donors. Uh, we had a <laughs> Patreon goal that if we reached a certain level, uh, we would bring back the beloved segment, What's Aqualad probably up to? Mm. We haven't seen that fella in a while. Indeed. And so, for the first time in a while, we're going to find out what Aqualad's up to. Next issue, for the Defenders issues, we're going to uh, have the segment, I was going to come up with a better title, but uh, A Wong Day's Journey Into Night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where we see what Wong is up to in issues that he's not featured in. So, Corey, mm. in February of 1982, what was Aqualad probably up to? Well, it was a, a rich time culturally. It really was. There was a lot going on. Yeah. All over the world, really. Mm -hmm. But at this particular juncture, we find Aqualad, you know, kind of out of the crime fighting business for a while and mm -hmm. enjoying the fruits of pop culture sure as it were you know spending a lot of time off off the uh off both the eastern and western seaboard little known fact yes it's been a hobby of his uh model airplanes paper airplanes uh huh. really aircraft the aviation enthusiast yes not so much flying them but but more so like small scale stuff. like model building yeah he's become quite adept at building these uh paper airplanes and he's been entering contests do you think it started with maybe him building some ships in a bottle? Oh, probably. Yeah, like a marine-type yeah. hobby. Yeah. So he's been listening to a lot of Jay Giles' band. Oh, okay. You know, are, they... are you suggesting that maybe he's sniffing glue? Oh, no, 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 no. Okay, okay. No, no not at all. No, I think he's no. a pretty... After no. the whole LSD mix-up, sure. he's pretty much done with that stuff, I think. But anyway, he enters a contest in Tacoma, Washington. Yeah. For who can construct and fly a paper airplane the farthest. And wow. he sets the fucking world record. My God. His walk-on music is also the hit music at that time, which is Angel is a Centerfold. Ah. Which is a weird choice. Yeah, well. But he was super into Jay Giles' band. I can see him being super into the Jay Giles' band. Do you know the lead singer of the Jay Giles' band's name? Jay Giles, I believe. Peter Wolf. Is it Peter Wolf? Yeah. Peter Wolf's the dude with like the like white guy, but he has kind of an afro. And yeah, I thought he was the lead singer. He probably is. I don't know. He died Fact. recently. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it's a bummer. Mm. Anyway, his paper airplane flew 47 meters. That's very impressive. That's a long way. Nice work, Aqualad. He does his best. And that's one thing he may have been up to. What I think he was probably up to. If there's one thing we know about Aqualad, mm. he is a good friend. Sure. He's a good friend to his, his, his fellow teens and to his fellow teammates. And one of his fellow teens is having a pretty rough time right now. Mm. He's not in this issue. Mm. It's Beast Boy. He knows Beast Boy's having a rough time of it. Mm -hmm. Like Beast Boy, 
Aqualad is an orphan. Mm-hmm. So he thinks, you know what? I'm going to help this kid out. We, we fought some crime together back in the day. Not, not a ton of times, but a few times. Mm-hmm. He turned into an albino baboon, hypnotized circus crowds. Oh, yeah. We, uh, we kind of bonded over that. I, I'm going to take this guy out on the town. You know what? Last time I was uh, overseas, maybe not the last time, one of the times when I was over in merry old England, I rescued the crown jewels. I'm going to head over to England. So he heads over to England. And Garfield's like, oh, dude, if we're going to England, we are going to party. Aqualad's like, that's right. We were going to party so hard last time we were in England and we never got the chance to mm-hmm. because the Mad Mod fucked everything up. Right. But, man, I'm, I'm going to check out the discotheque scene. I learned a thing or two about disco dancing back when our headquarters was oh. Gabriel's Horn. <laughs> I see where this is going. <laughs> they decide they really hit the town and they are doing it up right. And after a while, he's like... Man, I've been dancing a long time. <laughs> now, he's able to keep going because Gar will periodically change himself into a sponge mm-hmm. and uh, just sneak up on his boy Aqualad and uh, rehydrate him. Mm-hmm. Well, he must have done that, I'm going to say, gosh, 371, 371 times. times. <laughs> <laughs> because Aqualad was breaking the world record. By disco dancing for 371 hours straight. I couldn't find a way to fit that together. (laughs) And that is what Aqualad's probably up to. Nice work. Before we go off the air, I'm going to look up that Jake Isles thing. Minutes of Googling later. The band was Jake Isles, Magic Dick, (laughs) and Peter Wolf. And then they got some some other members. Well, they started in 68 in Worcester, Mass. That also had a drummer named Stephen Blad and a uh, keyboardist named Seth Justman and bassist Danny Klein. So, okay, Jay Giles is a dude. The front man was Peter Wolf. The harmonica player was Magic Dick. Um, <laughs> that is all good to know. Yes. And that, my friends, is the Jay Giles story. If you would like to learn more about the Jay Giles band, consult your local library and contact me with your findings at ttwasteland <laughs> at gmail.com. You can also find us up on the iTunes, uh, Stitcher, whatever kind of podcatcher you're using for getting podcasts. I assume you're listening to this somehow. Just keep doing that for sure. And leave us a review wherever that place is. Look us up on Facebook. We're on Twitter at ttwasteland underscore. We're all up in the internets. And you can, if you would like to, like so many donors have, who have brought back the beloved segment, What's Aqualad Probably Up To? And are helping us introduce Wong Day's Journey in Tonight. <laughs> you can donate on Patreon at patreon.com backslash ttwasteland. Our next goal is a bit up there, but if it comes through, then we will be doing five episodes a month instead of four. We will do a special episode every month for Patreon donors. So if you'd like to see that happen, uh, money, please. Thanks for listening. You guys are rad, and I like doing this podcast, and I hope you like listening to it. Yeah. So says Doctor Strange. Hit it, boys. Yeah. And they knew it. I expect to see you running your fastest in the police department's marathon tomorrow, Barry.
Gee, it's going to be hard for me to flash, to slow down. Next day at the race, in front of the Riverfront Boatworks. Something fishy is going on up there. The Flash better have a look. Change into the Flash, change into the Flash. Pew, pew, pew. Doctor Sorcery. His Philosopher's Stone has weakened the steel beams of the bridge. That ought to make the race more challenging. Here's something that ought to challenge your taste buds, Dr. Sorcery. Well, I see if I can get this bridge to be a bridge again. Hostess cupcakes? What chemistry? What taste? Rich chocolatey cake. Rich chocolatey icing. Plenty more at the finish line, Doc. But you can't get there unless you help me fix the bridge. You won, Flash. Hostess cupcakes make this a, a race worth winning. Speaking of finishing, if we're going to wait for Barry Allen to finish, we're going to have plenty of time to enjoy our hostess cupcakes. Ha <laughs> Barry Allen's an idiot. Nah. You get a big delight in every bite of hostess cupcakes. 